Hi, welcome to another episode of Dawncast. My name is Kathy Ngo. And I'm Di Lee. And we've got a special guest who's actually my friend, full disclosure. This is Elisa Choi, who is the founder and CEO of Maven Data, a market strategy insights agency powered by AI. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Good to see you again, same Di. Here. Same here. We're very excited about this new venture into the data world and Maven AI. Data. Tell, Tell us. us more about that. Well, Maven Data is, as you said so eloquently, Kathy, Australia's first AI-powered market research insights agency. So essentially, I read the market to understand what people really want, what people really care about, and from that, we can do a whole raft of um, really cool things that we can talk about. So how do you read the market? Tea leaves and crystals. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it like a crystal ball we get? <laughs> witchcraft or something um so essentially with market data um it's actually data that sits outside a business so if you imagine every business has a lot of data they collect i call that internal data and the external data is actually where most of the data sits so 90 percent of the world's data actually has been created in the last two years and most of this is outside on the internet and so the internet is what i call market data um it's what we you know, digest content with online, whether it's video or text. Um, it's basically how we um, engage with the world, which is all the more digital. So using that as my um, ingredients to um, use AI to analyse petabytes of that information, um, we're able to uncover and contextualise what people really care about. What's a petabyte? A petabyte. <clears throat> Sorry, Peter Bay is a, a good question. So, you know, um, here's a bit of math. So, 10 to the power of 15 is petabytes. 10 to the power of 15. So, okay. one with 15 zeros right. after it. Wow. That's a lot of data. Yeah. So, imagine, uh, you know, you can only use AI, particularly machine learning and natural language processing, to analyse this stuff. It's like having armies and armies of people who read articles who read um, sentiment, who read all these different indicators online, you can't have that. You can only do that with AI and it does that in a very fast and efficient way. So a petabyte of information is a heck of a lot of market data to understand the market. So yeah. what um, what got you into that space? <laughs> yeah, how did you get into yeah. that? Specifically AI in what I'm doing or and generally in Well, into data. data and AI because you were in technology before that. Uh, it's still part of you know, not technology, you know, cyber security and all that space. But you're now specifically focusing, obviously, on data and marketing. But what, yeah, what got you to then decide to set up Maven Data? Okay, this is this is a very very big question, live question, <laughs> life changing question. <laughs> so um, I've always been working in data. I mean, like I started my life as an economist, um, and then I went into um, investment banking as all smart Asians who were very numerate and got good grades did. Not me. Um, <laughs> not me either. Okay, not you two. <laughs> the two of us. The only two Asians that are not numerate. Okay. Um, so yeah, I've always been surrounded by data, but that was around sort of um, you know investment management, um, M&A, investment banking, solving problems for financial reasons. And I think, um, and that really sort of helps you hone your analytical skills. Um, but then something called the GFC happened in 2009, if you remember. We all remember that. We all remember mm. that. And I was working eight years in finance in a variety of different roles. And then I um, was made redundant for the first time in my life. 
when redundancy wasn't very cool. So um, I then quickly moved to another finance job and then I was made redundant again (laughs) within (laughs) nine months. And then I found another finance job because I didn't listen to the universe, which said, sure, you should be doing something else. I was very stubborn. I said, no, I'm going to do the Asian's heart. Finance, finance, finance. Don't give up. Uh, And then uh, I, I did my third and final role in finance and I had this epiphany one evening when I literally was there as an analyst to um, listen to a quarterly earnings announcement at 11.50pm on a Friday. Wow. Listening to CFOs saying, you know, the quarterly results for this you know, this quarter were X and Y, sales went up 1.5%, yada, yada, yada. And it was just, I was sitting there jotting these numbers down, thinking to myself, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and it was at that moment, I guess I, I realised, you know what? Uh, I'm going to make a change. So from that, I moved into completely something different and it was um, sales. I actually was selling yellow pages. You remember those yellow oh. books? Oh, yeah, yes. I sit on them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can still find some of those thick yellow pages. Uh, as Doorstopper. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I used to sell that stuff and we were, um, back in the day, they were, you know, going into digital. So my world of data I brought along in the sense that I was teaching salespeople how to sell with insights. And so at the time, Census is a large directory business and it had so much search data uh, about what people were interested in online. And so we were able to, with a team of us, um, you know, digest that that wealth of information that Census had created sales conversations and collateral and taught the salespeople how to sell with data. Right. And so then I moved into marketing and then I moved into uh, a variety of other roles and then I moved into a role at Caltech, which was actually my first role in data and analytics before it was actually sexy and cool. Mm. Um, I think I have a, a knack for picking things about two years in advance. So I think I had a calling just to say, mm. look, give this a go. And then I started my analytics role. So, uh, and that was a role which I uh, worked with data scientists and data engineers. And I, as a data strategist, my role was to um, answer questions around the business using data and analytics. And then from there, I moved on to a role at Woolworths. Um, again, it was a very, um, you know, in the belly of the operations of Australia's largest supermarket chain. Lots and lots of data. And so um, my role there was actually a leadership role. I thought I was going to be a, you know, a climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah. That didn't happen because the universe um, called again <laughs> years later. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd made a, a big change and I decided it was time to set up my own business. Um, and so, yes, in a very, 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 very long-winded way. way. <laughs> <laughs> to cut the long story short. Very short. I set up my first business, uh, Strategic Data Central, which was – born out of the frustrations of um, trying to help businesses navigate their own internal data. And then uh, I still have that business. It's my first child. I still love it. But I have my second one, which I'm about to launch, called Maven Data, which is now looking at external market data um, and helping customers and businesses navigate change through So one is internal and the other one is external. Is that the two businesses? Yeah, the easiest way to explain it is um, strategic data central is if you've got data in your business and who doesn't, let me take a look at it and let's just grab some insights and transform your business in a very simple way. And there are so many consultants who do that already. Um, And so that was my first sort of foray into setting up my my own business. But then I quickly realised that the biggest bang for buck actually comes from understanding market and customers and that comes from external data. And then uh, I had this fortuitous meeting with um, a technology platform that that 
produces this AI technology. And I looked at it and went, this is absolutely amazing. I need to take this to market. So I uh, birthed Maven Data. Wow. So you mentioned that you're Australia's first market insights agency powered by AI. And I'm surprised, like when I was doing a bit of research, I'm surprised that Australia doesn't have something like this. It just doesn't, it seems like a no-brainer. Why, why is Australia so slow? Oh, it's a local ah, question. Yeah. No, so I think we're behind in many ways. Ah, so <laughs> Where do you start? But it's like the, the AI. AI has been sexy for quite a number of years now and market research is old. Like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's every company dinosaur. does some yeah. sort of market research, but it just they haven't connected the dots yet. I mean, it's a good thing for you because like you were saying, you are two years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> in many things but um yeah just going back to the question like why why are we so slow i actually my honest opinion is that it's just a reflection of our literacy in data so um you know i've been out of corporate for a few years now and when i first started out i realized that um, people didn't understand the basic concepts of data if you were to ask somebody what is data they wouldn't know how to explain it And I was about to actually say that to you because there's a lot of um, government uh, and, you know, Minister um, Victor Dominello has been throwing around the whole data, you know, how we collect data and uh, and access to data. Uh, I think there's even a data commissioner maybe, I don't know. There there is some big data body that has been set up by the government. So we, we talk a lot about data and how important data is in terms of helping society shape and evolve but what does it all mean, <laughs> right? Not what, a big what, question. you know, what does it all mean? because <laughs> well, it's sexy, right? Like data, you know, data, this, data, like that. Data, 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 like mm. yada, 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 yada. But, but obviously, the two similar. I mean, one is that I think if we can talk about what it is, what does it mean, how does it actually impact our daily lives, and how important it is, and then going to then. If that's the case, then why are we so behind? Mm, okay. Um, so I think with it's such a big topic because firstly our literacy or understanding of what data is is so um, elementary relative to other places in the world. And that's fine. That just means that we need to do more work as an evangelist of data, which is what I do in my speaking. And a lot of it is actually explaining basic concepts and helping people understand that it's not an evil thing. We've always had it around us and data is just information stored in electronic forms for analysis. And then you talk about what, what analytics is. Well, analytics is a body of knowledge that understands mathematical relationships between you know, in, in data. And then you go, okay, what's an insight? An insight is something that comes out of data analysis. And then when you talk about data analysis, there are so many techniques from very, very basic all the way up to very advanced of which you then talk into... Um, artificial intelligence and that in itself is a very big topic Mm. of which there are many sub branches that become even more sophisticated (laughs) so it's like a journey of understanding and I think um, people now compared to a few years ago uh, are the understanding has improved Uh, there is definitely a hunger and and an eagerness to learn and start adopting it into their own practices at home. Or not at home, sorry, at, um, at work. <laughs> well, at home you can. I can say to my son, statistically, <laughs> you have not um, tidied up your room. room. <laughs> it's about S- significant statistical significance of his inability to tidy up the room. <laughs> You're an outlier. Oh, <laughs> 
Yes, I know. So it's it's a huge topic and I love how people are more interested in it now. And yes, AI is sexy because it's just got that uh, – it's so broad, so many applications, and I think people are starting to realise that there are faster, smarter ways to make decisions. So at the moment, if you think about it, data, would you say your emails, the emails that we send to one another, would that constitute data? Yes, it does. Okay. So this list of questions that we sent you is constitute data. Yes. Okay. Everything is data. Everything is data. It, it's so there you go. Everything is data. Mm. If you think about it, um, data is essentially information that you collect. So whether you connect, it's observations, actions, behaviours. It's created by humans, like what we do and what we say, um, posts, reviews, shares, things like that on social. Uh, but it's also um, logged by machines. So what time did we say that? How long did we watch the video for? Things like that. So if you imagine all of that, every millisecond of the day, something happens in the world that we, you know, there's data that surrounds that, all that can be analysed. Mm. It's kind of scary when you think of it because everything is tracked. Every little thing. God is watching. Yeah. <laughs> Big brother is watching. Big brother. Yes, yes, that's true. But I don't think we should... Uh, feel too overwhelmed by it because the danger is that yes there is a lot of data but to be fair you don't need all of it in the world to make sense of it and this then the the expertise and skill is actually understanding what data you need and what questions you want to answer and what method you want to use so currently we use all of us we use social media such as facebook i don't know if you use tiktok but i do no, uh, i don't use tiktok you, you know why? Because the CCP looks at that data. Yeah, that's what they say. But what data do they look on TikTok you know, other than you dancing? You know, it's the uh, – can I be a little bit of yeah, course. Yeah, controversial? Go, controversial, yeah. yeah. Go, go well, you know, it's the best way to hack into someone's, you know, lives. Right. You know, what, what are you eating? You, what are you wearing? What are you mm, doing? What they're checking out like? what you're looking at. And so if – so, so okay, go to that example. And if they see me wearing this outfit while I'm doing dance on TikTok, mm-hmm. how – how would that data and information assist the CCP make any decisions regarding regarding their country? Well, I don't know the overall big plan of the <laughs> CCP. Um, but, for example, like, you know, imagine being able to spy on people during, in their lives in the privacy of their own home. You know, what are you wearing? What does your house look like? What do you, what, you know, what are you talking about? What in, you know, all these little clues. And as location people, as well, right? Everything, you know. And so, you know, would you, would you put it this way? If someone came and knocked on your door, a complete stranger, and said, can I spy on you and watch you in your underwear dancing in TikTok? You go, of course not. Go away. <laughs> but you've just basically opened that invitation through this app. But we do that across other social media platforms as well and not just on TikTok. So Instagram, we do that. Facebook, we do that. Don't yes. you think? Yes. And now, are. increasingly, LinkedIn is also using those kind of videos. People are kind of going on video, sharing on video, talking about running webinars on videos. Everybody's doing it. Yes, I agree. Um, but TikTok, I think, has a different flavour to it as well. I think that's yes, the medium is the same, but I think the the content is different in TikTok. TikTok really is around people's lives, like mm. the privacy of their lives, and you know what they what they laugh at. What they get entertained. It's less engaged. filtered. It's yeah. less filtered. It's more real. Whereas you know LinkedIn, you know Facebook. It's it's all everyone. It's it's all performative measures on mm. on these social media platforms. TikTok's just a slight different flavour. Mm. Mm. 
I, are you a bit worried now? No, not at all. Not at yeah, all. I just kind of felt like, oh, are you a bit concerned? Because no. Di, you just did a TikTok I video. Just thing, just I just did a TikTok ago. video with my team, my, my, my interns here. It was great. It's, it's I think, it allows people uh, at a time like this when with COVID and everybody's so stressed to find a way to um, decompress. Really. Yeah, mm. decompress and doing something fun. And having that that moment of dance, I, I can't see how that is different to say you share something on Facebook. But and, and, I mean, we're talking about the different platforms here in its data. But I think the in, important what I'm trying to get it is that we are all sharing data at the moment, aren't we, across all the social media platforms? So, what does it mean? There's so much data there, and how can a business like yours mm. extract mm. Um, and make it meaningful? Is yes. that what you're trying to do? Yes. Make it meaningful for businesses and for individuals, or who who, who wants your service? Yes. Well, the um, the um, truth about the scenario with, with social media is that um, there's a lot of data that we can't see because it's like owned by these um, corporations that have access to it. Yes, we can have slight views of you know they may share through their APIs and you know you can grab information from them, but not so much in a what I call wholesale fashion. As if, if, if I really want to do some analysis, I, you can't talk to a TikTok to get their data. You can't really talk to Facebook to get their data. You can't talk to LinkedIn to get their data. That's all their data. Um, what I do is actually everything that sits outside the firewall. So that means, for example, everything's connected on the internet, right? And so when there's content online, you know, I always say it starts with a Google search. Google's like the godfather of online. Mm. So everything's linked to Google. Um, and when you follow the customer journey of, of any, um, any topic, any interest, you start with Google and then that will find, you know, trails through to LinkedIn or a Facebook page or a YouTube clip or all these different avenues. Now, the, everything that sits outside these major social media platforms is still out there, what I call in the ether. It's in unstructured content. Unstructured means it's just messy, it's um, not defined. There's so much of it. In fact, most of the world's data is unstructured. And using the power of AI, you can analyse the unstructured data very, very uh, efficiently. Right. So I don't necessarily crawl into um, looking at, um, you know, inside Facebook per se, individual accounts. We don't go into, um, you know, spying on people. So when we do analysis on the market... It's actually an overall market view. It, we actually don't care about the demographics because the types of insights that I gather are strategic and they're not tactical. So, for example, if you said to me, I want to know what you know people really care about in relation to COVID. So I can tell you a whole bunch of different, test a whole bunch of different narratives around COVID, you know, it, COVID related to the work, COVID related to lifestyle, COVID related to X, Y, Z. You know, you can test everything you want. And my job is to analyse the test results and then make sense of them, find out what the strong story is. And obviously there's a lot of diagnostics that come with it. Um, and then I'll give you a recommendation as to what people really deeply, deeply care about because things that they deeply care about are things that are part of culture, things that are here to stay and then I can add a, le a level of emotional tone measure to it, because those emotions drive behaviour. Mm. People are driven by emotions. Emotions drive behaviour. Yeah. And strong emotions change behaviour. And when you have an indicator of strong emotion that changes behaviour, you can predict change in the market that will happen. And it doesn't have to do, it has nothing to do with whether you're Dali, you know, and you're a Vietnamese, and you're Asian, and you're, you know, Love this dancing. and that. It doesn't matter. 
right. you know, that's got nothing to do with the strategic insights that we, we provide. So do you start with like a hypothesis or something and then you test it? Like where do you start? Well, in the in an, an experiment, you'd always start with a hypothesis um, and it's, you know, in a lab, for example, mm. or you have a, a null and a, and a, a null hypothesis um, that you start with. But removing the sort of scientific method view Yes, we do have a view of testing up, you know, the market. So if you were to say to me, you know, what do people think about COVID? You all, all the different things we test are your hypotheses. Mm. You know, um, COVID um, restructuring, COVID workplace, COVID mental health, a, COVID mental health. Those are your, your themes. Themes. Yeah. They're not sort of hypotheses specifically that you would test scientifically, but they're definitely themes that we would explore. Um, and then through that, um, we can uncover things that, you know, people don't care about, which is 90% of the time. It's just noise. And every now and again, you'll get a golden nugget. And I call them <coughs> the transformational narratives and the ones that will change the world. So um, why do you do what you do? What do I do? No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? What does she do? Why do I do what I do? That's a really good question. Um, I love data, as you know. <laughs> I love. Well, oh, <laughs> see, you're, you 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 describe it as data. I love stories. So that mm. means stories is equal data. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So I love stories. You love data. Yeah. So we kind of yeah. But I anyway. like data stories. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The best way to communicate um, data is through stories. What's the story that the data is telling us? Um, and yeah, I love finding out um, and understanding how the world works. Oh, that's yeah. Same here. That's that's why I love stories. So for me, um, you know, I get super frustrated when I can't figure something out and I have so many why questions. Like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? What's going to happen in the future? What's the impact of this? Like, to me, it's data through this method is a really efficient way to understand the world and then, more importantly, help people make clear decisions with confidence. So is that what – sorry – Oh, I was just going to say, we had a conversation a while ago and you were mentioning that so many wonderful businesses have um, basically closed up because they have made really bad decisions and they could have been saved if they listened to their customers and also looked at their data. Tell us more about that. Yes, I know. The sad thing, so another reason why I do what I do is that um, uh, the, I think I'm developing a little bit of a COVID itch in my throat no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have a drink. Have a drink. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. We're having a conversation. Hot spot. <laughs> that is a hot spot here. It's getting hot in here. So, yeah. so um, no, so I, I've noticed, I mean, we've all noticed in the last couple of years, even before COVID, that there have been so many businesses that have died or exited the business you know, left the country and particularly the retailers. Like, you know, like Kiki K, Colette Heyman, mm. EB Games, Shoes of Prey, um, yeah. Harris Scarf, like There's the list very goes big on brands. and yeah. on. And I feel sad for these companies and these companies, you know, they employ lots of people yeah. and, you know, these people have families and then you sort of throw COVID into the mix and it's just completely disrupted lots of industries and it's changed forever. So they... In my mind, they didn't have the opportunity to see signs in the market where things have changed. 
where customers have changed, where they didn't see the trends that were happening uh, for a variety of reasons. And so they didn't make the right decisions at the right time and hence they failed. They hit their icebergs. And that to me as a business owner, as a, you know, a daughter of um, you know, a single mother who ran her own business, all the choice of business owners, um, it, I feel it very deeply when businesses fail because um, – you put your heart and soul into a business Absolutely. Uh, and it takes years mm. to build good businesses. And to me, it's a shame that people just don't get the opportunity to make better decisions with all this data that we have around us. There's so much of it around. Mm-hmm. All the answers are in the data. So what is that what fueled you in on this journey, you know, into that space? Um, obviously, um, coming from... Um, Asian parents' background, uh, single-parent household, like myself. Yes. The, um, it's, uh, is that what fueled you in, in this space? Uh, well, there's two parts of what fueled me to be doing what I'm doing now. There's the, uh, the part of me that wants to solve problems and do it for lots of businesses. So when you work in a corporate, you solve it for one business, mm. the one that owns you. Controlled <laughs> page bills, um, make you a slave. Makes you, yeah, they're slave. Uh, so there was an element where I was sort of, um, I just wanted to do more outside, and the, the second part was really, uh, to be really honest, um, I just wanted to start my own business and do my own thing my way. So uh, you just know when you're born to be a boss, and my mum <laughs> was a boss, and. Um, my brother owns his own business, also in data as well. Um, and, yeah, we come from a long line of business owners and I think you have the freedom. It's real about freedom to choose uh, how you want to do what your gift is um, on earth and you that means who you choose to play with and who you choose not to play with. So um, it's not an easy path, but it's certainly I would, I would not go back to corporate. So you've been in business for a couple of years now. What would be your biggest challenge or a setback? Gosh, again. <laughs> Another lot of questions. So a lot of loaded questions. questions. <laughs> um, Dark moments? Oh, that's another one. <laughs> I said that. <laughs> I think the, um, as with anything, it's, it's small business. Um, at the moment, my business is small and it's about, am I making the right decision at the right time? I think success in life is about timing. You know, you might be the smartest person, you might have the, the best team, you might have the best product, but sometimes timing to market is not right, whether it's market for you and your own personal life or the market's not ready for what you want to do. So that's always been the biggest challenge. Am I doing this thing at the right time? Um, and also too, like, you know, you don't have the security and stability. Um, so at times you, you feel under, yeah. under the pump, right? Yeah. Are you, yeah. Am I making a decision... Uh, with confidence, and that's why I rely on data. Is data is confidence. Mm. Data gives you clarity and confidence, and then you can sleep well at night, <laughs> unless you have children. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, how much of your upbringing do you think, um, you know, your background sort of influence the path and the decisions that you've made today? Mm, that's a, another very big question. <laughs> <laughs> I love all big questions. She has big questions. She reckons all the questions we're asking her are big. <laughs> Yes. Not uh, as big as the data question. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I suppose I haven't had a very smooth career, I'd, I'd admit. I've, I've probably done about 10 different jobs in my 20s. Um, and that's a combination of life and me and not the right fit, etc. But um, so I think 
<clears throat> I think what's made me really effective now in what I do is because I've done so many different jobs, because I've had so many different um, industries that I've worked in, I have a very broad view of business, which means I can actually get a lot of context for the whole picture. Um, so I think I used to think it was a disadvantage that I wasn't really deep in any one thing. Mm. Um, <clears throat> my experience is quite you know, goes across a lot of industries, a lot of different functions, but my depth of experience is actually my my analysis and my lens on the world. Mm. And, and I think that's from a collection of all the different experiences I've had. So I look at the uh, my peers that I did university with and, you know, at this age now they're all, you know, MDs and head of, you know, some yep. big roles, cushy jobs, yeah. all that stuff. And here I am, like, I, my life has been a bit of a snakes and ladders, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm going to climb the next. And then I just fall down again. Hey. That's but it's just a title, right? Yeah. I mean, are they really happy in, in their jobs? Because really they are – it's not their company, right? It's their – Yeah. I mean, everyone's driven by different things. Mm. Some people are driven by those things and yep. um, other – yeah. So, yeah, for me, it's been a bit of a um, – a journey i don't like it's a bit cliche yeah it's gonna you know, it's gonna be in the boring list in about 12 months time <laughs> um, so it, yeah it's been lots of twists and turns and i haven't said I, I can say i've had lots of ups and downs and so when you talk about the dark moments um i've had some really really dark moments can you share those dark moments how dark do you want to go oh <laughs> very dark <laughs> um yeah so i suppose do you believe in um spirituality and astrology and stuff like that i believe in spirituality absolutely in the universe aligning yes you do i do you do as well no she doesn't um, she's a bit oh. more left brain yeah. uh, I'm, <laughs> she'll I'm get the there fence. one day <laughs> i'm on the fence I'm, I'm, I'm yeah she's on the fence you're on the fence i'm You're're switzerland someone <laughs> was never neutral darling well i can pretend to be neutral <laughs> <laughs> it's fine i'm, I'm open <laughs> well we thing, can influence her i think we can yeah well the thing is um i mean look you learn stuff from life or you don't, right? Yeah. Um, and so when I had my dark moments, I think, you know, it was written in my stars that I was going to have some dark moments. And what I mean specifically is um, back to the question, what made me start my business, businesses? Um, to be really honest, can we be really honest? That's yeah. what we're about. Honest, yeah. authentic, been honest raw. All this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Gosh. Have you been making really honest? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yes. I mean, like, okay. oh, are you guys ready for this? This is a real, real Drum honesty. Drum roll for some real honesty. So, yeah, I was I'm holding on my. Seat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking. Well, better be good. <laughs> better be good. Better be good. So I, um, I ended. You know, my corporate career after, you know, a few bad experiences in corporate, to be honest. Um, and it, it happens a lot. And I'm talking specifically around bullying. So, you know, I've been um, subject to some serious bullying um, in, you know, in my life. Let's just put it that. Um, and it got to a point where um, I just couldn't see myself following the same path anymore so in a way I was pushed to do what I'm doing now which is on my own however it was supposed to happen mm. when you talk about because we talk about bullying in the workplace mm. is it possible for you to share what does it, what it looks like and oh. how how it and what it does, does yeah the warning signs yeah what do you people look for what it, uh. how it impacted you and mm. and okay. you said it happened so many times you know and then it has to get to the point whereby 
the, the, the straw that broke yeah, the camel's back. Enough yeah, is enough. Enough is enough. Well, you know, you know, all of us are, you know, migrants, right? So we came to Australia. Australia. So I, I was always subject to bullying, but that was always on the sense of, you know, race and all that other stuff. But when it comes to being bullied in the workplace, particularly by um, people who don't understand you or feel threatened by you, mm. I suppose the early warning signs, like for me, I've been always been a very confident person. Yeah. And it's kind of a bit surprising when people, when I tell people this story, because they kind of look at me and go, how could someone bully you? But, yeah. you know... It's actually what I truly believe, like as a female in the workplace, um, in your 20s, you come out of uni, you kind of know something of not much and then, you know, you're not so much a threat. So you get harassed at work, sexually harassed, like we've all been there. We've all been sexually harassed at work. And then when you hit your 30s and you start to know stuff, you start to be confident in what you are, you become more threatening. That's when they don't look at you as a piece of meat anymore and they look at you as a threat. In the workplace, and so at that point, if you're in an environment that is very hierarchical, um, pretty much a most, lot of businesses, most, or, most are, organizations are corporate yeah. are um, government when, institutions are exactly. When you have somebody like I was always someone who sort of pushed the edge of what was you know what everyone else was doing, and that's probably why I love what I do in data because I push the edge of how I look at something. But in a workplace, you sort of when you're owned by your manager, yeah. if they're not, you know, au fait with how you're doing something, if they don't understand it, and if it's a controlling hierarchical structure, you just can't breathe. And so then they, you know, the types of things that they would do is they would um, say really mean things to your face in a one-on-one that no one else can witness. Um, they would sideline you in meetings. They would not give you eye contact in a meeting. It's just those subtle clues, mm-hmm. you know, um, and if you're really high in EQ, you can't help but pick that up and then you take it home with you and then you start thinking, what's wrong with me? Yep. You know, um, and then all that stuff. And then you start to feel the real sign of when I thought it was really bad was when, one, you start to doubt yourself. Uh, two, um, you start to lose sleep. Because you know someone, you know, you're just not in the right environment. You know you're a bird in the wrong cage. Like yeah. you, you shouldn't be in a cage to start with. Yeah. But you're just in the wrong environment and you can't get out. And so I used to lose sleep. Yep. I used to cry in the bathrooms. I don't think I've ever shared this with anyone. I have, you know, with some close friends, but mm. not so mm. publicly. But you went drinking as well after work. Yeah, you go drinking. After, you know, you just, you just, just you just implode. Um, mm. It's interesting. I wonder how much of that is because of us being um, a- Asi- Asian I as, think a- it is. as a cultural aspect. Because interestingly, I interviewed, uh, we had this amazing AI person um, uh, on, on Dawncast and she talked about um, Priscilla Kukui. Uh, she's French. Uh, um, she, she says, am I black, am I white? Because she's half. But she said in meetings. And they skipped, like instead of going and giving her, asking her questions, and they tried to sideline her too. But what she did was that she was strong enough to say, hang on. Well, the first time she kind of let it go, but then the second time she said, hold on, um, I've got an opinion here. right? So she spoke up about yeah. that. And then she also said that she built allies in, in, in that those who were working closely with her would say, hang on, you have skipped her. She actually can contribute to this discussion. So... I wonder is because of the way that we've been brought up, we're less likely to confront 
and we kind of internalize when somebody tells us something that we feel like, oh my God, hang on, I actually did this not true. I want to have a an opportunity to express some my my opinion here, but we don't get that because we are not taught to e- freely express ourselves confidently. Um, and yeah, you know, just wondering as because I thought listening to Priscilla and listening to what you're sharing, I'm thinking it's interesting how in a situation, you know, I, I'm like you. I would just probably, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've, I'm not good here. I'm, I'm the same as well. Yeah. I would think, what the f- is wrong with me? Yeah. But really, it's not. It's because we are culturally conditioned this way. Mm. And if you're a woman, you're Asian and mul- have multiple diversity cards, you're screwed. <laughs> No, not necessarily. Yes, you but, are. But yeah, but, but no, yes and no. But yeah, yes yeah. And no. it's sad. Well, we it's we sad. think it's screwed, but uh, in actual, it, it would think it's screwed, but in actual fact, we can actually, uh, only now we can turn it around. But, you know, like, uh, you know, at, mm. at one stage when I was uh, re- reporting, um, I was told that I had an accent, right? Because you still do have an accent. And, and I still don't have an accent. But the thing is, back then I'm thinking, oh my God, does that mean um, something's wrong with me, right? Mm. It's only when I feel like, hang on, I'm, it's, I've got an accent because English was my second language. So what? Right? I needed Can to learn. Can I tell learn- you something? There is, a, there is something very um, true about mainstream Australia. Mm. And that's something that we picked up when I did a project with a major TV network. So we're looking at understanding, you know, what do mainstream Australians who watch TV care about in a show? And so... Please don't tell me so, you know, it's true. Huh. That, so, you know, part of the truth about mainstream Australian culture is that um, we are inherently still very racist. We are very conservative. Still? Yes. In 2020? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We how, are, how current yes. is the data? Yes. We are um, generally still quite homophobic. We, um, you know, it's, it's a product of... The, the migration that we've had in Australia, because um, we've had the you know the first wave of the white settlement, seventeen hundred, yep. white Australia the, policy, the British, yeah. the yep. British, and then the Europeans came, yep. and then the Asians came, yep. and then now it's the Africans, right? Yep. So, you know, when you look at the waves of how society's changed, that the faces and, and accents etc have changed, but the undercurrent is still there's a lot of racism. Um, and a lot of uh, conservatism. And so, you know, when it came to understanding the insights for the purposes of this research project, it was understanding how to sort of market a particular show towards a mainstream audience that is like that. And the thing is, there is mainstream Australia, but now there's subcultures of mainstream Australia. You've got the mainstream Bogan White Australia, and then you've got the mainstream Bogan Asians. You've got Bogan Asians as well. Oh, yeah. You've got Bogan Indians and you've yeah. got Bogan Wogs. Yeah. So, you know, there's <laughs> n- many colours of Bogan. Yeah. But it's just how we've evolved. And so this was quite an interesting piece of research mm. that was all from the the online market data that I was talking to. So what what will Australia look like or how will the society evolve then with, with the data that we, we're now getting, do you think we'll get to have more insights into the population, its mindset, what mainstream Australia, is it going to still remain that way? I don't think mainstream Australia, I, I think everything evolves, right? Yeah. So uh, 
and look at COVID, right? So it's just completely thrown us, forced us into change. Mm. Um, and then you're always going to have the good and the bad that come out of it. And look at what's happening in the US as well. So um, to me, I, I can't see that far into the future. The stuff that I can see is probably about one to two years away based on what's happening in the market today. Um, and that's something that was really interesting when I was looking at um, predicting the winner of The Voice. Yes, tell us about that. So last year, 2019, I was, I was curious and I was bored and so <laughs> curious and bored and a data person oh God. come together. Um, and so I was like, let me just see if I can predict uh, and measure engagement in the market around um, The Voice, which is a singing competition. Um, it was, it's been running for 10 years. I used to watch it. You know, I used to cry you uh, know, right. watching it. Um, and so I thought, okay, if I can actually prove that I can measure and understand engagement to the point where I can pr- predict what people want, because in this competition format, it's very clear, direct line of sight, meaning that if you really love someone, you will vote. Mm. And then that's the best indicator of deep engagement. Right. Right? Yeah. And you have to love someone to actually be bothered to, to vote. Right. right, okay. Not like, oh, yeah, they're okay. Okay. You know, it has to be a strong emotion. So when it was the eve of the finale in 2019, I think it was July, um, I ran, you know, the four contestants' names and um, I had a look at what came out of the of the analysis. And when I looked at social media metrics as well, it was um, saying that, you know, there were three guys and one girl and in social media, Facebook likes – you know, um, one, two, three, four, and then, you know, other sort of metrics. And then when I ran this through my method, it was really clear that the girl, Diana Ruvis, was um, deeply engaging and people loved her. There was this beautiful, what I call, emotion eyeball chart that I look at, which talks about the emotions that people feel towards someone. She was deep green. Green means, like, positive and people were in love with her, and so and she was also transformational. So she she really meant a lot to right. society and culture at the time. So I thought, okay, she's going to be the winner. According to Facebook, she was going to be third because she had the third most followers like, right. and likes. Right. Yep. So yeah, and then I, it was right. I and I um I got it right. Oh. And then ooh. I did it again this year. Wow. Just out of fun. Wow. So I got uh, I got it right again in 2020 for The Voice, and then I did it again for uh, MasterChef Australia. Right. So who did you predict would win? MasterChef? Yeah. Well, it was Amelia. Amelia. And how did you do that? The same Same thing. Same method. The same secret method. (laughs) The secret ingredient. So, um, yeah, it it really proved my methodology, which was, you know, understanding what people deeply care about. What are the but how did you how did you measure that? How, how, what it's was a software, isn't it? Is it a, is yeah, it so I, I work with a, a partner in um, overseas, and they're called Significant Systems, and they're they're the ones who invented the the platform, not me. They're the geniuses. I'm just the person who drives the Porsche very fast. Yeah, let's see how fast. Let's see how fast runs. So I've been working really closely with them for a couple of years, and so they never applied their 
their methods towards something like this. But yeah. um, like, so there's a lot that goes into. Uh, I mean, I make it sound simple, but there's a lot under the hood in relation to what goes into analysing emotion and engagement. Wow, um, it's all based on you know cognitive behaviour and science and. Obviously, lots of technical jargon that I can't rattle off. I wonder, can you can you do that for politicians? <laughs> yes, we can. Totally can. Yeah, so, yeah um, absolutely. Late, can you remember, late last year, uh, there was this political um, joust going on in the Liberal Party when Malcolm Turnbull was... Oh, yes. He, he left the building. Yeah. And then they were trying to figure out who was going to be the leader yeah. of the... Yeah. The, um, the, the Liberals and Nationals. Yeah. Between Scott Morrison and Malcolm Turnbull. No, it... No, Malcolm left, or he he got they got rid of Malcolm, Malcolm right? And then it was either going to be uh, Scott Morrison or Peter, Peter Dutton, Dutton, yeah, right. So again, I was a bit bored and I was curious <laughs> about that. You know. So I ran those two names, and what came out was really interesting. So the market hated both of them. <laughs> the market did not like either of them. They they had these negative emotions around them, really, really anger, angry and. Um, Peter Dutton was probably worse than uh, Scott, Scott Morrison. Morrison. So, you know, it was lesser of two evils with ScoMo, I suppose, in that at that time it was, you know, people don't like either of you, but people don't hate you as much as Dutton. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, look, I don't I, – I had no impact or anything on the election, obviously. <laughs> but, um, but this sort of information is quite interesting because imagine, mm. like, if you were in – if we were in that conversation when they're talking about who to – yeah. Take the leader who to take the leadership and take the party forward. This sort of insight would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, but but then if you remember, I mean, we could. That's another conversation. But one of the thing I want to touch upon is that uh, one of the things is that the they found the market. They they did say that the market wanted Malcolm Turnbull, but in the end, you know, Scott Morrison got it and he still won the election. So so. Well, let's not talk about the election. Yeah, but, the but election that blindsided <laughs> all of us. Yes, um, but anyway, so that's that's another election conversation. Yes. Um, but so so for you then, um, you got a follow up question? No, I, I don't like. I don't talk. I, I don't talk politics. much about politics. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying anything for for um, to follow up on what um, um, uh, God, my brain, Elisa is saying uh, in terms of data and um, you know why. why what she's doing um what you're doing like can basically help anyone every single business isn't it no matter how small they are or how big they are like yes so i think you know every business wants to have um confidence in the decision making in how they go to market and how they position themselves and i think every question that wants to be answered is what do people think about me what does the market think about my brand and my company and my service what's the future of my industry what should I avoid? What should I go for? Um, these are questions that sit across all businesses, no matter what size, what industry, what's what, you know. So I find that um, I, I find it's a really exciting time to be in this business because um, there's one, there's a lot of uncertainty, and two, there's so much data now, and we live at a time when technology is already here. You know, data's always been here, to be honest, but technology yeah. wasn't always here. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was what was injectables. Injectables. Uh, injectables. You said the data around injectables around this COVID was fascinating, mm. that more people were getting inject injections? Lip fillers. Oh, lip fillers. Okay. <laughs> were you also bored and lonely that day as well? <laughs> bored and curious. <laughs> Tell us about that data. Uh, well, so what does it mean? 
Okay. And so why did she look into it? Okay, 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 okay. okay. Um, so uh, how it came about was actually a, a conversation I had. Um, so this is a data from another type of way, which is anecdotal evidence, right? So I was talking to um, a friend of mine who uh, works in one of those um, major um, beautician clinic brands and um, – he mentioned that, um, you know, their sales were going through the roof very oh, recently, wow. particularly after COVID. And so I started to dig into it and I felt like an investigative journalist. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, sort of asking, you know, back on the uh, the financial analysis hat, asking all these questions around it. And then I, uh, and so he gave me some insights as to what was actually happening from their business point of view. And their business is quite a sizable business in that market. So, you know, you can imagine... Um, what it means and I could extrapolate it to the yeah. industry as a whole so um, I just asked him do you mind if I run a couple of things on it and um, post it out there so what happened was that in COVID um, they did have to shut down their shops for a particular point of time and then they had to and the message here was they quickly um, reorganized so that they could uh, set up an online store to uh, produce you know to sell other products just skincare stuff um, but they also, um, surprisingly to them, they had, um, as soon as things were reopened physically in store, there was a huge surge in injectables, which is the lip fillers. Wow. And, you know, significant shifts um, in, and, and not only from existing customers, but new customers. So we're talking about people who'd never thought about it before, decided, you know what, COVID's <laughs> just really like, you know, got me all depressed. I think I need to, to inject my, my lips. lips. Or is it that watching too much reality television t- during lockdown? Yeah, and why do people? <laughs> it's funny, isn't lips? it? Because um, my theory on in people in general, um, based on my own experience, experience. lived experience, one, <laughs> um, is that you know we love to spend money, uh, spending money on things, doing things, buying things, you know makes us all feel good, and we're always chasing things that make us feel good, and so in an environment like COVID when, you know, things are forced on you, you find ways to feel good. And so um, one way, and I link it to wellness because people have definitions of wellness that are very personal and for those who choose to inject lip fillers, um, that is their decision that obviously makes them feel good and hence they do it more and more. So it's no surprise to me that when I looked at it, you know, people are finding new ways um, to chase that emotion. Wow. It's interesting because you would think um, that, uh, yes, I can understand chasing that emotion to feeling good, but uh, we hear about, and you've, you, you're in, you were in finance and banking, uh, the market is quite depressed at the moment as well, you know, in terms of are we going to see the economy grow again out of this and how long would it take for it to, to grow again? Um, I wonder if people are thinking that long term or they're just now focusing on just feeling good again based on n equals one (laughs) my own opinion on this one um i think people generally uh don't think so long term it's just too far ahead they think about what's happening right now what's going to impact them in the immediate future it's too hard it's too uncertain to even think about anything further than a year or two years at this stage um but i think you know, within the economy, there are sub-economies. So there are, overall, you can say everything's depressed in general just by the numbers, but there are real pockets of growth and shoots of inspiration and, you know, and then there are others that are depressed and they will be probably uh, permanently depressed. So 
um, in aggregate, things are down, but I think there are certain – you can see just even with this injectables thing, mm. certain pockets that are really shooting and flying, and that's because people are funneling, you know, mm. what they do, what how they spend their time and money. Um, we have to entertain ourselves. We have to eat. We have to do all the basic human Maslow hierarchy needs stuff. Yep. We just now have to do it differently. So I think it's pushed us into innovation, and I think also um, when you look at businesses – if you were kind of teetering on the edge of dying before COVID, COVID is just probably the kills best it thing. Quicker. Yeah, it kills yeah. it quicker. Yep. Um, so it's it sort of, it's like some of these retail businesses, they're dying really slow deaths yep. and you kind of just want to just kill it yep. or quickly revamp it. Just don't watch this painful, yeah. painful <laughs> death. Mm. You know, Maya's one of them. Yes. Painful. <laughs> painful. <laughs> it is. Tell us about the global health wellness trends. Uh, so the global wellness trends. Yep. So um, did a study with 150 narratives across different industries and we looked at beauty, we looked at um, food and nutrition, looked at um, travel and looked at a whole bunch of things. And um, out of that we were able to understand what were some of the transformational narratives or trends, meaning things that got actually have momentum and going to change the market. So, which one do you want to delve into? Oh, um, travel, because we all want to travel. <laughs> oh, travel, interesting. Okay, so with travel, I mean, obviously, this study was done in January prior to COVID. Yeah. Okay, so we all thought we were going to go travel, travel a lot. And have, you know, travel was very, very different to what we now know as the reality of travel. Uh, so within the travel industry, we looked at um, a couple of things, and one thing that stood out was that. Um, it's all about experience. It's all about um, nature. It's all about um, reconnecting with the earth and uh, digital detoxing, meaning completely switching off. Um, one thing that came out was quite interesting was called forest bathing. Oh. So forest bathing is actually a Japanese concept, it, you know, where they actually go in deep into the forest. Um, Strip naked. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, boys. <laughs> Strip naked. And just <laughs> I don't dance. know what they do there, but um, the concept is you go into the forest okay. and you immerse yourself in nature. Whether you do it naked or not, okay. maybe I should test that one. Yeah, I Sex I in thought, the forest. Yeah. I thought you were about to tell me about them going into the forest strip naked and having a bath. And just, you know, hugging Not the trees. literal sense of okay. having a bath. It was okay. more like bathing yourself in nature. Your soul. Yeah. In nature. Yeah. Um, so so, you know, it's – I think we're starting to see a bit of that happening generally. It's, you know, disconnecting from the day, the day-to-day, mm. you know, the digital, the go, 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 and just completely immersing yourself. Well, COVID really fast-tracked that. Yes, yes. Yeah. If you can get yourself to a forest. Forest, yeah. Or well, yeah. the Blue Mountains, really. Like yeah. the, the tourism around there has just boomed. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, it's – um. I mean, look, forest bathing translated to now, it's going to be a little bit different. But Wish the concept bathing. of – Or desert <laughs> bathing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, certain things came out really strong and certain things were, like, not interesting anymore. So what's not interesting are those holidays that are, you know, sit by a pool – sipping pina coladas, um, mm. resort hotels, the way that they're structured. So what's very interesting coming out of this is that 
the travel and hospitality industry, particularly hotels, need to really reimagine Thing. the experience. Yeah. You, and particularly when you've got things like Airbnb and you've got the choice to, you know, live in different types of um, accommodation, why would you want to go into a hotel room that's yep. all standard and stuffy sterile. and sterile? So they really do need to shake it up. And they're high-cost industries. They, you know, lots of well, capital goes into that. Again, so COVID has really shifted that as well for them. Yes, but it's an opportunity, right? Yeah. It's an opportunity now to cut the, the waste yep. um, and then reposition. Because if you're a brand as strong as any of them, like a Marriott or a Sheraton or any of these resort brands – you already have attention. Mm. You just need to flick it a little bit or twist it a little bit and pivot a little bit. You can now shift your engaged audience into a new market and give them what they want as opposed to me starting my own hotel chain, <laughs> which will take years, yeah. right? They already have a, a head start. It doesn't yeah. take much to shift if they've already got a, a, an engaged audience. Mm. That's true. Well, my gosh, I think we can sit here and have this conversation on data with Elisa for eternity. I know. Um, I want you to predict everything. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but thank you so much um, for coming into our very humble little studio, Dawncast. And we've been, uh, you know, speaking with Elisa Choi from Maven Data. Maven Data. Maven Data. Maven Data. So Maven oh, Data Maven there. Data. So if you, your business, uh, and would like to find out more about Maven Data, you can contact... You can go to www.mavendata.com.au. Who still does that? Nobody does that. <laughs> no, no, you still do that. You still do that. And we will also have the um, uh, Elisa's uh, links just links in, in the podcast below. So, uh, but that's it from us. So Thanks. thank you. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night. You. Make thank sure you subscribe to Dawncast, clicking the bell below and subscribe, click subscribe and help us grow. Yeah. I'm Di Lee. I'm Kathy Ngo. Bye. You Bye. better turn up. You better be there when I shake. Watch me rocking if I can't stop. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> if I should